This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast is sponsored by Brewskits, handcrafted dog treats made from spent beer grains, oats, barley, and rye. No chemical preservatives, a great source of fiber, and packed with protein. Visit brewskits.com to see the full selection of treats for your dog and your cat. Receive 15% off your first order by typing in two important words, Fermented Adventure, at checkout. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. He's Brian Wing. I'm Rich Shane. This is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Brian, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited. We met at CiderCon 2022 in Richmond, Virginia. The first time we met Green Bench cider and meat or green bench meat and cider you were doing the share the tasting there were hundreds of people in the room clamoring to get over to your table i'm excited for what we're going to talk about today welcome to the podcast thank you very much rich it's a pleasure to be here now talk to me about green bench and how you got started you're in florida so there's a lot of differences that i would say for the cider producers and even the meat producers that we find here in Pennsylvania. Talk about Green Bench, how it all started, and yeah. you know what you're doing. Sure, absolutely. So, Green Bench, uh, you know, we're we're a brewery and a meadery and a cidery, right? And the brewery kicked off in 2013. Is when we opened the brewery side. Um, and all along, uh, when we were opening up the uh, the brewery, mead and cider was on the plan for us, right? That was that was part of the part of our plan, our business plan. And it's really because we enjoyed drinking cider and mead so much down here in Florida. Um, and that at that time, right, in 2013 and then 2015, when we started making mead and cider, that was, you know, it was um, not, uh, what, how should I put it, not common to find cideries or meaderies down here, right? Um, so, you know, Chris and I, who's one of the other owners and the, the head brewer uh, for the beer side, he and I worked together professionally for a long time. We, we homebrewed together. That's kind of how everybody gets their start, right? Homebrewing beer, meat, and cider. And um, and as we were opening the brewery, you know, it was kind of always we'd, we'd share a glass of cider or a bottle of cider or whatever and 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 make plans for kind of how Green Bench was going to do meat and cider as well. So, like I said, that was 2013 for the brewery, 2015 for mead and cider. And that's been, you know, we're talking seven years now um, that we've been in operation down here. And you're, you're right. It's, I would say we're maybe in the minority as far as cider makers in Florida. Mead makers, I would say we, we've got, you know, relative to the population, we've got maybe a stronger presence of mead makers. Mead is really coming up in, um, in Florida uh, and, and tons of people drinking mead down here. So we're fortunate there. And of course, 
you know, our resources here in Florida, the honey we get is just incredible. Um, you know, we get different varieties, just like any anybody else down here in Florida that you can't get otherwise, uh, other, other, other places in the nation. But uh, we get great honey. Now, apples, of course, are a different story, right? There are no, I wouldn't say there are no apples down here, but there's certainly no cider apples down here. Um, and even as far as we are down here in St. Pete, uh, which, you know, some would classify as Southern Florida, though we're about halfway down. Um, uh, there's just no apples to speak of at all. It's just too warm for them. Uh, but, uh, but we, you know, we're passionate about it. And so we made it happen. For you and Chris, I mean, you mentioned starting as home brewers and then opening up a brewery. What was it for the both of you about cider and mead that you enjoyed and you loved? And it now was something that you were looking on track to say, we're actually going to make this part of our business plan. Sure. Yeah. Um, two things. One is, you know, when you work with beer day in and day out, right, it's, it's nice to have something else to open at the end of the day, right? You brew beer all day and sometimes the last thing you want to drink is another beer. Uh, although I'd say that's rare. Um, but I think really what it came down to was, um, you know, cider especially, I mean, mead is, I'll start with mead. Mead is really, uh, you know, just starting to kind of break back into public perception to begin with, right? Mead is, mead is years and years behind kind of where we're at in cider and cider is years and years behind where we're at in beer in terms of just the, the, the knowledge of the market and, and what people knows out there and what's available. Uh, so mead's the whole, you know, that, that's, that's introducing people to mead. Usually when I say we make mead, they ask if I make meat, um, right. which I think a lot of mead makers will echo, right? Uh, cider for us, you know, we, we love cider, uh, you have forever. Um, but getting it in Florida, it was, it was just, you couldn't find it. I mean, there were a couple mass produced ciders on the shelf, you know, six packs and that sort of thing. But, um, uh, to get really, really what I would call kind of quality cider made from real cider fruit, you know, you had to, I'd either have to order bottles from up North somewhere and, and ship them down or input, you know, find an importer from over overseas. Um, and, and that was the only way you could get really, really great stuff. And the thing I love about cider is, is I, I don't think there's a drink on the planet um, that really can represent sort of a, a place as well or a, a sense of place as, as cider does. I mean, and, and the variety for cider, you know, forget about it. You're used to seeing five or 10 apple varieties at the supermarket, right? And a lot of people to them, that's what apples are. Um, but you know, there are thousands of varieties of apples and just, you know, I'm, I've been making cider for years and years and there's still varieties I've never heard of. I've never tried. So the, the variety in terms of aroma, flavor, texture, the experience that the apples give you is, is I think so unique to each apple, um, that, you know, you could compare it to grapes. Um, and, and I think it's, I think a lot of folks kind of you know, need to give cider that, you know, look at cider from that perspective, you know, just like you would wine in terms of, how, you know, kind of the unbelievable variety that you can have. And it's not always sweet, um, like you get in the supermarket. So anyway, we just, we would, we'd sit and drink cider and just kind of have our minds blown by all this stuff that was coming down from up north. And we said, we got to get into this because frankly, it's too expensive to keep buying bottles, shipping them down from up north. We got to start making it down here. So, so this was just basically a selfish economy decision to start to start brewing and making your That's own right. cider. <laughs> well, I think I think anybody I think anybody that gets into home brewing um, does it because they want, they want to drink it. Right. Because they because they want they want to be able to have all these different experiences. And, and, and it's, you know, in some cases, it's cheaper. In some cases, it's not. Uh, but you just you open up a whole window of opportunity for for all sorts of delicious liquid. You know, that's just all there is to it. What was your experience at CiderCon? What what you know, talk about some of the highlights for you and what resonated for you guys. 
Yeah. So the uh, so this is uh, I think we've been going to CiderCon every year. I missed Oakland. I will say that, but we we've been going to CiderCon now since. Boy, I think this was my I don't know fourth or fifth CiderCon. Right. It's 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 always a highlight of the year for us in terms of uh, the conferences we go to and some of the stuff. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is because um, you get to try a, a, a ton of really great cider, right? There's no other place where you can go and on those tasting nights and stuff where you can have that many great ciders from around around the world, around the country. And uh, so for, as a producer, that interests me because I really like to see what other folks are doing, right? Um, and, and, you know, that, that goes for old classic cider apples and, and, you know, sort of farm ciders. And that goes for new modern ciders where folks are throwing all sorts of different, you know, hops or other additives or ingredients or fruits or whatever in there. And just kind of see what, what everybody's doing, right? What the market's doing, what's successful and how folks are interpreting cider differently. So that's one thing. And the other is, it's really interesting to get a perspective from the growers, the folks that have the orchard, because of course, I'm not an orchard grower um, down here in Florida. I rely on them heavily for the apples that I bring in. And so it's always interesting to hear from them on kind of what's, what's working for them, what's not. Um, I, I thought we had a couple different discussions this year around changes in climate and how that's kind of forcing people to think differently about the apples they're growing. And it's something that, you know, Again, I'm not a grower, but I rely on them, right? And so whatever affects that supply chain upstream of me is something that interests me. So, you know, we had some fascinating discussions there. And the next couple decades and whatnot of this of the industry is going to be really interesting as things, you know, continue to warm up. How are we going to adjust to that? Um, and and so that was, I think those those two things were kind of my main focus. And then aside from meeting all, you know, meeting new people, seeing old friends, you know, the usual thing you get at conferences. And it's great to be back, you know, in person again. That's for sure. And where you are, do you, you, you talked about, you know, obviously meeting new people, talking to the growers, are there new varietals, things that you now want to try to experiment with based on conversations, things that, you know, you could expect from green bench in the next, uh, mm-hmm. through the year? Yeah, I think, you know, for, for me, I think we've, we've, we've been lucky enough to maintain, uh, some really great relationships that supply us with good apples from, Mostly um, New York, primarily New York State, and then some in Pennsylvania. And um, that, you know, those relationships came about by, you know, being at CiderCon, meeting meeting growers that had apples to sell. Right now, uh, this this year, I thought with the with the conference in Richmond, there was a great focus on Southern apples. And so, and I think Southern apples, and I, I love the term Southern apples because you know I had to fly four hours north to get there. You know, and, <laughs> right. and, they're, and they're, they're that's the South, right? So. But the, you know, Southern apples, I think it's going to be kind of a barometer for, again, as, as climate change continues to move the way it is, more and more, as we, you know, further north, you're going to have to, you, you'll probably see some of those varieties of, of apples sort of make their way north because they'll be able to handle the warmer temperatures and things like that. And so that's, that's really interesting to me. I really want to play with some of these Southern apples because you get you know, longer growing seasons, uh, oftentimes you get, you know, so that gives you what higher sugar content in the apples and of course, other different characteristics from them. And, uh, and then just from an economic standpoint, uh, you know, if I can find some folks in North Carolina and those sorts of places where I can get apples from, it's a shorter distance to travel. So that makes it shorter and cheaper for me to ship down. So those kind of, you know, those, those are the things I'm looking forward to in the next few years, um, you know, based off the relationships we made this, this past CiderCon. You talked about your relationships and you are in Florida and you mentioned, you know, orchards and apple growers are not plentiful. 
where did you decide or what was the thought process through sourcing apples initially to get things together? And, you know, talk about that, because I think a lot of people, when you mention, you know, you're a cidery, they expect or there's this perception that there should be mm-hmm. an orchard somewhere close by or next door that, that your apples are coming from. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, point because I grew up in Michigan. So, you know, until I was, I think I moved down to Florida when I was in my mid 20s. So, you know, you could throw a rock and hit an apple orchard where, you know, in Michigan. So, um, so I'm, I'm totally, I'm well versed in the whole cider mill, cider, don't, you know, cinnamon donuts, hay rides, the whole bit, right? I, I know what that feels like. And I love it, cherish that. Um, there's nothing better than a fall, you know, at the, at the cider mill, right? Uh, then you come down to Florida and, there's no, there's no expectation for that here, right? As in what, what I call an urban cidery, that's kind of the new term going around, right? Um, and you know, there's no expectation that there's going to be an orchard here in St. Pete. And furthermore, a lot of the folks down here have never had that experience, right? So we get, so we get sort of an ability to, you know, to, to operate without having to worry about not supplying that same experience because it's not expected down here. But then also, we get the opportunity then to sort of bring a little bit of that down here, which is a brand new experience for people. Cider, the sort of cider we're making in general is is, is new in Florida, I would say, right? There's not a lot of folks doing it. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting kind of, kind of see two sides of that coin of, uh, of, well, you know, we really should have some apple trees outside, but we can't, right? How do we get around that? Or how do we provide something similar to tell the story of these apples without having, you know, they can't point to the tree outside that's growing that, that particular apple. I got to tell that story in a different way. And really, I think it takes maybe a minute or two more of conversation with our customers when they come in to sort of tell that story. Um, I was telling another friend that it's as if I was bringing in like uh, uh, Pinot grapes from Sonoma County, right? And I, I bought amazing grapes and I ship them over to Florida. I press them. I ferment them. I do everything right here and I make a great wine. Um when you walk in the door and you see this wine made in Florida, even though it's got all, it checks all the boxes, it's going to take a few minutes to get somebody to taste it and consider it and, and, and realize that there's something really great in the glass there. And I think we kind of, I think we have the same sort of um, challenge. I'll, I'll call it when, uh, when you come to Florida and you see a cider maker in Florida, I think that's, that's part of that is saying, no, no, we've, the only thing we don't have is apples growing outside. Everything we've done here, is really, you know, um, um, you know, treating these apples well and making really great cider. If you give us a few minutes to discuss it, then then you'll be able to see it. If that I makes think, sense. I think you make an interesting point about the grapes, and specifically too, you're a brewery. Nobody yeah. says, "Oh, you don't grow your own hops," or right. you know, your <laughs> yeah. grain, your grain, you know, mm-hmm. your grain is coming from, let's say, the Midwest or somewhere right. else. There's yep. never that stop to say, well, how come you don't have, you know, malted, well, you don't have your own malting room, right? Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> so you're right. Uh, uh, yep. It's an interesting perception because apples come with that mindset. And mm-hmm. you talked about, you know, perfectly well. This is your, these are your childhood memories. I wonder how many, uh, you know, as the great migration to Florida and the South from the North mm-hmm. right now, I wonder how many people are so appreciative of the fact that they can find a good quality cider and you talked about it, it's an urban cidery. And Mm -hmm. that seems to be one of those concepts now that you're leading on the forefront to give people the understanding of this is what a cidery is. This is what a meadery is. This is where you're going to find those quality, um, those quality, uh, you know, beverages 
Uh, you know, the same thing. There are so many wonderful wineries right now that are taking the juice from somewhere yep. else or mm-hmm. the grapes and pressing and are making so wonderful wines. And I, I think you're only a couple of you know minutes away from that not being an issue anymore. And your yep. peak customers coming in saying, I don't care where you grow it, just keep making it, just keep doing what you're doing, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's you know, and, and I think that as more, we've talked a lot about uh, urban cideries at CiderCon actually, because there are just, of course, more and more folks that are getting into cider, don't have an orchard out, out back or a farm out back. And so they're, that's, that's their reality is if they want to make cider, they're, they're, you know, they're doing it without that farm, which is perfectly fine. Uh, and I think that's going to be a growing population in cider. And that's going to do a couple things, right? Because a- as an urban cider, you're not tied to being in the growing region for apples, right? So you're going to be able to go to places that are not traditionally cider, you know, centric areas of the country, and you're going to be able to bring cider there to people. And that's going to educate the population around you, right? That's going to improve their palates. They're going to demand better cider and more cider. Um, and, and, and that'll open the door for, again, more urban cideries. That'll open the door, honestly, the, you know, we've, you know, the rising tide floats all boats, right? It'll open the opportunity, open opportunities for all sorts of cideries there and, and increase demand for the product and, and, and that sort of thing. So it's, I think it's an important, you know, it's, uh, it's an important, you know, an important task. I don't want to, I don't want to inflate our, you know, our own importance here because there is, you mentioned apples sort of come with the perception that you've got to be on the farm. And there's, again, there's very special memories I have of that. And I don't ever want to replace that. Uh, but, but if you want to make cider in other places, you've, you've got to work with what you've got, right? So it's a good thing. I think it's going to be good for cider to do that. Talk about some of your challenges that whether is yeah. it supply chain, is it, you know, just overall um, sourcing of things? What are some of the challenges you guys are facing right now? Yeah, the, the, so I'll talk about a challenge that we've, I wouldn't say we've solved it, but we've, it's gotten much better. And that again, was just sourcing good apples to begin with, right? Because the, you know, like I'm making cider in Florida and in the first couple of years, we were just, we'd have to get juice from wherever we could get some from until we made these relationships with farmers and orchardists that were growing really, really great cider apples. And I wasn't making bad cider, I was making good cider, but I had a feeling because of the quality of the fruit I could bring in. Right. And, um, the difficult part of that is, okay, you want to find an orchard that's growing cider apples. It's not like a lot of these guys just have a webpage that, that is ready for you. You know what I mean? So much of that is personal relationships and personal connections and handshakes and that sort of thing that until you start going to places like CiderCon and things like that and meeting folks, that was an enormous challenge for us, huge, huge hurdle. But luckily we, we solved that to some degree, you know, a couple of years back and, and have had these relationships that give us great, uh, just amazing, amazing quality juice. Now, you know, I've got to ship it down here. So, you know, that's not cheap, right? Moving that juice across the country is not cheap. And so that's, oh, that's a continuing challenge for us, but it's worth it because, you know, the stuff, the juice we get is just incredible and I wouldn't do it any other way. So that's just, at this part, that's part of doing business down here. The other, the other challenge for us is the perception of cider, especially down in places like Florida, where until recently your options were mass produced six packs on the shelf, which I'm not. If if you like a sweet cider in a in a 12 ounce bottle or a or a or a can or whatever, I'm not knocking that at all. More power to you. But it was the only thing that was available down here. I and wouldn't so, knock it yeah, either, yeah, Brian. Yeah. But I think one of the great things what you guys are doing and the industry mm-hmm. as well is I think that's a trend that mm-hmm. has lived its life. And yep. 
those expectations of the sweeter, you know, more mass produced, mm-hmm. I think there, there's, there's always going to be that. Yeah. But I think what you're doing is you're saying, hey, stand up and take notice. This is mm-hmm. what a cider really is. And this is the mm-hmm. experience you will enjoy having a cider. Yeah, that, and so you're, you're right, and I think, it, and you might even think about it two ways. You could say that trend is going away, or you could say there's a ceiling for how many people will enjoy that. And until you show the, another portion of the population there are other there are other things to try that are cider, you, you you bring in a whole new you know segment of the population that said the other stuff was too sweet for me. Now I'm trying this. This is interesting. This is good. I really like that. But getting folks in the door, as it were, is is the challenge, right? Getting them to sit down and try a glass. Let us explain, you know, let us explain why this is different, you know, because we're, we're, you know, the brewery's operating here as well. We've got tons of cider on tap, but we get a lot of people who, you know, we got some cider on and the, it, the first reaction is now cider's too sweet. And I, it's like saying wine is too sweet. There are wines that are sweet and you don't have to drink them. There are tons of wines that are not sweet, right? It's the same thing. You would never say wine is sweet, right? You would never say beer is sweet. You know that they go all over the, all over the, 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 the range there. So that's, Having that conversation with folks is, is a challenge slash opportunity, but, but that sort of education, I'll call it, or whatever you want to call it, exposure to these new things has always kind of been one of our missions at Green Bench. You know, when we opened even the brewery side, we were brewing and serving beers, beer styles that you, you just couldn't get anywhere else around the area. And so it took a little while to get people to really, you know, try this food or fermented, you know, Saison or this 100% Brett beer. And uh, you know what I mean? It just, it took a while to get people to try them and say, this is, I've never had this, really like it. And so it's the same kind of thing with cider. It sounds like between you and Chris, your personalities are, you want to be more outside of the box, whether it's beer, cider, mead. Yes, you can brew a lager and ale. As you touched on, you're providing other varieties that people are either a not used to trying or haven't been able to get for a very long time is that really when you talk about the personality of green bench is that something that you want to make sure is consistent throughout i i think i think that would be fair although i will say you know after a day of making all these funky farmhouse beers and mixed culture sours and barrel aging and all the all the kind of crazy stuff that we're doing here, which isn't that crazy, right? But all the all the stuff that folks haven't tried or heard of, at the end of the day, I'll still go drink a check pills. You know, that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like right. I sort of so we kind of I think we both we love to try, you know, to try all these different styles of beer, cider, and mead. We like to make them and, but then we still have a just like a real deep love for sort of classic styles of uh, of you know beer or even if you could call it, you know, classic style of cider, just delicious, simple gorgeous ciders that, that pay homage to the fruit. So, I, you know, it's kind of, we like to play in one area. And then at the end of the day, I, I put my feet up and I have, you know, I, I go back to kind of the old classic, but we, we need to do them all very well. That's, I think that commitment to quality is something that runs through everything Green Bench does. You mentioned, you know, challenges of sourcing apples or juice. Mm-hmm. And are there conversations with orchards, growers, uh, amongst yourselves as uh, so- amongst yourselves as cider producers to allocate or contract to make sure that those trees are dedicated to you you guys? And is there a plan for you guys to maybe buy an orchard or part of it? I I, just, cause I wonder you're in an area where you are very susceptible. Uh Well, you mentioned climate change disease. Um, Uh You know, here in Pennsylvania, we had the spotted lanternfly 
So those things, you're at some sort of a whim or a will to different things. And, and how do you gain control of those? Yeah, it's a, I mean, great question because, uh, you know, coming from the brewing side, right, we contract our hops out five, six years in advance, right? I mean, that's a real thing. Um, and I, I, I think that as the, as the industry grows, because the industry is going to grow faster than we can put trees in the ground and grow fruit, right? That's just the reality. Um, which is good. It's a good thing. Um, what I, what I really want to have happen is I, I want an economy for the growers so that it makes sense for them to pull out fruit that's maybe, uh, you pick or culinary apples, dessert apples, or out of, you know, eating out of hand apples, those sort of things and put and lay in cider apples. We've got to make it make sense, business sense for them to do that. And then even when they do it, you're five or seven years or more in some cases before fruit's really bearing, right? So that's going to take a very long time. I think. I, you, you said a contracting apples, and I think that that's, uh, I, re, I really think that if I was fortune telling, I'd say that's absolutely going to be something in, in, in maybe not the next couple of years, but if you're saying five or 10 or 15 years out, I really think that that might have to be a, the a way the industry goes. And I, I would support that because it does a couple of things. One is that it, it, it gives me as secure a position as you can be in to know that I'm going to have fruit. Now, anything can happen with those trees that have been earmarked for me, but at least I know that there's something waiting for me at the end of the year, provided everything goes well the growing season. The other thing is that it, it, I'm passionate about creating, a, uh, again, creating an economy for the growers that makes sense for them. And if that gives them uh, assurance that two or three or five or seven years down the line, they're going to be able to sell these apples that they're putting in the ground. I want to give them that opportunity because it's going to it's going to make more opportunities for me to buy those apples. So yes, I could see that easily happening for apples, and it would make me kind of a little bit more comfortable, really, from my end. Even if I got to pay a little bit more for my apples than I'm doing now, again, it's I got, I've got it's got to make sense for both of us, and that that includes the growers. And I, I'm I'm passionate about that aspect of it. Maybe we hit upon something that predicting down the future, we we mm-hmm. kind of helped everybody. Look, if I'm going to start yeah. and I have, if I have land and mm-hmm. why wouldn't I dedicate say, all right, green bench, these are going to be mm-hmm. your apples. Tell me what to plant for you. You know yep. how much I would do that. That mm-hmm. to me is a great business model because if I keep doing that year after year after year, you have mm-hmm. a sense of confidence. I know if I grow, it's going somewhere mm-hmm. and it's a win-win for everybody. So yeah, it's it, yeah. One and I think that I think that one of the things that I, I think CiderCon does well, but can improve, is connecting apple growers with people who need apples in a way in a, in in sort of and having conversations like that to see, you know, what do we need to do over the next couple of years to get both our both of our needs met and make that happen. Um, yeah, one hundred percent agree. Now I'm walking in the door at Green Bench. We have a couple of bottles of here. We have a couple of mm-hmm. bottles here. Talk about, you know, the, you know, the expectation or as a guest that's never been there, take them mm-hmm. through your experience as to what people can enjoy when they come to your meadery, your cidery, your brewery. Yeah. So, so we've got, uh, we got a pretty nice sized property here of the main, the main brewery. Um, that's, I think about 6,000 square feet. And then, uh, and then a tasting room attached on the front that's over here on, on one side of the beer garden. A big open air beer garden between the two buildings, and then on the other side is my cider and mead production space, uh, our mixed culture fermentation space, and then 
our barrel warehouse. Now I'd take out a tour downstairs of it, but I've got a, <laughs> we've got it rented out now for a, a, a local meeting. So, but I've got about two or 300 barrels back there on racks and everything that's, that's holding all of our mixed firm, uh, some mead fermentation, some cider stuff and, and the whole, you know, it's all temperature controlled facility. This is the, the web city cellar side. And then the, the main tasting side, the green bench brewing side's over there. So, you know, you walk into our property and you can kind of go two, two routes, right? You walk into the main tasting room and you've got 18 or 20 different beers, ciders on tap. Um, all the, you know, most of our lagers that we produce are in there, IPAs, uh, all the way up to some of our, our um, you know, the Saisons and some of the other wild beers we have. That's, you know, sort of what I call the traditional tap room, sort of, you know, the tasting room experience. Uh, and then you can, you know, you can sit out in the beer garden and have a drink if you want, or you can come over here to Webb's and uh, Webb's is, you know, it's 21 and up inside Webb's. It, the lights are dimmer. It's quieter. There's soft seating. Um, like I said, you can sit in there in with the, in the barrel house. So you're sitting in and amongst the barrels. It's a very sort of contemplative space um, uh, where, you know, our tap list downstairs here in the cellar is much more of our mixed culture, wild uh, uh, ales, sours. Uh, of course, we have ciders and meads over here as well, but it's much more, I don't want to call it esoteric, but it's much more or even advanced. But I would say it's the slightly less approachable, right? It takes a conversation to ha- enjoy some of these beers, beers, ciders, and meads. And so we wanted to make a space where you could sit down and have a conversation with the bartender and they can explain these things and, and show you new, new, you know, beers or, Ciders, meats you haven't had, try some samples, that sort of thing. So you have a, you know, a space where you can really kind of tell that story because some of this stuff requires a little bit more of that story than others, right? And IPA, we kind of all know what the, what the, what the deal is with that, right? It doesn't take a lot of explanation. Some of the stuff here takes a little bit more time. And so we wanted to make a space for that. And we opened web. I think we're going to celebrate the three-year anniversary at yeah, the three anniversary of opening web um, next week, actually. So, so it, it's a wonderful space. Um, and just, you know, it's something unlike anything else in the area, I think, in terms of just kind of having a spot to come and really like drink and think and enjoy. And it's a really unique spot to to have a drink. That sounds very evolutionary Mm. to where it's a very, I'm just trying to picture my own self right there as, as sitting amongst all those barrels and tasting through the complexity and the character of whatever you've produced, you know, for me to enjoy almost Mm -hmm. as I'm thinking, Hey, if you go to a cigar bar, if you go to something like that, we just came back from Kentucky. So we've been doing a lot of bourbon. I mean, you just sit there and it's, it's, you, you, you go through and you have that experience. Mm -hmm. And I think as we talk about that urban cidery that, you know, you're, creating and the experience that now people expect more through even out maybe Florida, the country or coming back. And we want to see what, you know, green bench is now what, what's their, what's their next, you know, offering, what's their next expression that it, yes. If you want to come in and like you said, here's a beer and here's a cider. And, but if you want to just stop and slow down, you know, talk about, you know, why you chose that yeast or that fermentation or those apples or, you know, why you blended these fruits in here. That's I, I almost want to just get on a plane and come down now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's really it's, a uh, you know, I think back to I don't know if this is common across all, you know, brewers and cider makers or if it's common across drinkers really that are serious about it. But I I have a, I, I remember a few 
like transformative experiences. And that's the only way to describe it where whatever that was that was in my glass just made me head. I had to stop and just, whoa, and just think about it and drink it and, and process it, right? And as a, w- whether I'm making it and trying to figure out how the hell did they do this and how do I even get close to it or it's just flavors I've never had before. I've had a couple of times, two or three times in my, in my professional career, career where, where that's happened to me, where I needed to like really think about it. And this is the sort of space where that can happen. And, and you, you, you encourage that to happen. Can you versus, talk about you know, that? Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Versus like when I'm and, and nothing against it, cause I'll go over to the main taste room and I'll fill up a dimpled mug and I'll crush a couple lagers cause they're delicious. You know what I mean? But there's not necessarily, and sometimes, sometimes those lagers make me need to sit down and think too, but you have that opportunity for whatever experience you want to have here. That, and I love the excitement. As everything changes, you can become even more excited and animated <laughs> about that. You talk about that that formative experience. I can resonate with that because the first time we had, you know, a really good craft cider, mm-hmm. I stopped and said, wow, this is so complex, so characteristic, so full-bodied, and, and all the different things that went into that. And then you just want more. And it yeah. sounds like what you're producing and the opportunity you're creating is, I want more of that experience. Yeah, that just yeah, sounds that's, so that's unique. Exactly right. Yeah. All right, we you have it on a, we have a couple of bottles yeah. here. You're going to take us through. We just walked in. We sat down and said, yeah. "Chris, what should we have today?" And I've got this beautiful, <laughs> um, this beautiful orange sunrise kind of a bottle. And that's right here. And no yeah, labels. Yeah. There are that's no right. labels. You, you, I know you. You hit it. You got. You got me just before the uh, before those came in. So yeah, these are going to get. We'll we'll do the the clear bottle first, right? So this is the um, this is the giant giants in the sky is the name of this cider. Um, this one here, that, that, the, no, the, sorry, oh, this, this guy here, the clear I'm guy. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, okay. We'll do those giants in, order, in so. the sky, giants in the sky. So that you can, if you want, I'll, I mean, I'll actually rouse the yeast and, and, and go ahead and, you know, redistribute that in solution. That's perfectly fine. I think it actually, this is bottled pet nat. Um, and so it finished fermentation in the bottle. That's why the, you know, you've got the sediment in there. I think you could, you could, decant it and pour it clear but i think it really rounds out the character of the cider to have that yeast you know just stirred back up again in solution right so so this is the giants in the sky let me pour myself a little glass because i always have i always have and a, you opened you, up a bottle too i did yes sir <laughs> uh so yeah you're right and forgive me for the no labels right we're, no we're i i love it are, i feel like we're, we're underground or you know we've you, got yeah <laughs> we've yeah. got tampa tampa bay beer week is coming up next week and so we got a ton of releases and things planned for that because it's always a huge week for us in, in Tampa and St. Pete. And uh, the labels are showing up tomorrow for this. So I'll be I'll be labeling these guys uh, right before release. So anyway, uh, Giants in the Sky, like I said, it this is a um, uh, barrel fermented, right? So it started fermentation in uh, X wine barrels, right? Neutral wine barrels. They've, at that point, they've been second or third use. So pretty neutral. And then uh, fermented in in our in the cellar here, so at at you know sixty five degrees year round inside here. So cellar temps, and then uh, just before it finished fermentation, they went into bottles, so it could finish in there and then naturally carbonate. So the all you know the carbonation you get from that is of course just the activity of the yeast. So this is lovely. Know, I just love right? the so there's a slight apple essence to it. Mm-hmm. There's you get some of the oakiness, some of the woodiness on the nose. Yep. Um, and I don't know if it's because of looking at the bottle and, and that's what my mind wants to see, but some orange or citrus yeah, notes to yeah, it. Yeah. It's got, and I mean, it's got, it, it almost has like an orange wine sort of look to it, doesn't it? Um, the, so 
the, the way that I came up with the blend for this apples was it's a funny story because what happens is, you know, every fall, I usually get all my juice in one or two different, um, you know, l- truckloads, right? Comes down in totes for me. And then I'll either blend before fermentation, depending on what I get in, or maybe some of the things I'll ferment out as like single varietals and then blend after the fermentation is done. But at any rate, I, I bring in whatever 2,000 gallons of juice at a time and I, I fill up my tanks the way I want. And then la- uh, last year, I guess, was or the year before, I was, I was left with sort of leftovers, right, for, of what was done after I'd done all my sort of purposeful blending. And so it was a much higher concentration of crab apples, which is why I think you're getting the citrus, because a lot of the Wixen and Pioneer crabs and things like that that I bring in always, to me, give me like a lemon-limey kind of flavor. I mean, I've, during mid-fermentation, some of those will smell just like Sprite to me. It's crazy. Um, and so it was a high concentration of crab. And then there were some bittersweet, bitter sharp in there as well. Um, so when it went in the barrel, it was, it was, it was pretty acidic. I, I mean, as you'd expect, maybe a little bit out of balance for, you know, in terms of what I would want to drink right then. But this spent a lot of time in bottle after it was uh, packaged up. You know, it, the carbonation happened fairly quickly over the course of a couple of weeks, but it took you know, months to sit in the bottle and really kind of round out and mature. This is a wild ferment. There was no yeast added. This was just what was present in the apples when they were pressed and present in the barrels when I put them in there. And so, you know, it's it got a little of that funk and, a, and maybe even a little acidity from that. That The acidity what, comes sure, yeah, through right, yeah. right. There's a yeah, brightness. Right away, right? There's a sourness yeah. to it and mm-hmm. it dries out and you really feel almost those apple skins in your mouth. Yeah. To where, yeah. but, but, even in the nose, and I'm glad you touched on the wild ferment, even in the nose and even in the in the in the flavor profile, you do get this, you know, yeasty experience mm-hmm. on both. This almost smells like just like a, a light mist of rain or fog. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> sure. I'm getting I, it I, on the nose. I can do that. Okay. So I'll take notes for that. Next time I next time I'll uh, I'll add that to the label. I like that. A light mist of rain. Yeah, it's it's um uh, it, it's a really kind of extraordinary thing. It's just one of those, you know, I didn't do anything to this. I poured it, I, I, you know, pumped it into a barrel and let it do its thing. And, um, and it turned out really nicely. Sometimes that happens. Right. And it was kind of the blend I had was not, you know, it, it wasn't quite intentional blend. It was sort of, like I said, what I had left from my other blends. And it, it still, like I said, worked out really nicely. And I love a really high acid cider anyway. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's worked out beautifully. And the, the natural fermentation I find takes, for me, I think it ta- it it benefits from some time in the bottle because it it allows that apple character to come back. Sometimes that natural ferment sort of wipes out any apple characteristic, you know. And this sort of comes back and rounds after a couple months in the bottle, so it's benefited from that time. You know, you mentioned that Brian, and what I have found, and maybe you can help to clarify or maybe take me on a better way to understand. But I've had ciders that I've kept in my bottles for a year or two. And they're different and in many, many cases better. I, I've never had a cider go bad. So when you compare that to a wine, you can have some of these ciders stay in the bottle and they're just going to improve over time. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think a lot of these um, ciders that, uh, you know, even like this, this what is basically a mixed firm uh, cider because, you know, there's definitely wild yeast, maybe Brett. I'm sure there's wild sac, there's bacteria in these presses, right? Uh, these get, th- this got a little shot of uh, sulfur dioxide before it went into the barrel 
a small amount, right? Because I just want to knock out some of the really bad bacteria and leave some of the whatever whatever's left there. So I think most of those, I think almost all of them really benefit from extended aging, um, you know, in a bottle or in bulk or whatnot, because that, you know, the, the, there's just so much still happening. There's so many chemical changes still happening there. And with this really high acid cider like that, which is great to make it shelf, more shelf stable, right? A lower pH and the ferment lowered the pH as well. You sort of need a little extra time for that acid to kind of back off and not be so harsh when you're drinking it later. Um, so, and I think I can't think of a lot of ciders that I make. I would say all of my, you know, what I call sort of traditional ciders that I make, you know, with minimal intervention, um, they always benefit from colder, slower ferments, longer time aging. They're almost always better a year later rather than six months later, you know, and they just keep getting better too. Um, this, this, this bottle here was actually, I'm, uh, I think it was, uh, what I say last year, it was last year's harvest. So, I mean, you're talking a year plus that it's been in my possession now in fermentation, all that, all that kind of stuff. Right. So it was 20, that'd be 2020, uh, harvest. So, I mean, it's, it, this is a, you know, as far as things go, it's not a young bottle. Yeah. Right now I'm feeling a very great sense of jealousy for those people that are in close proximity <laughs> to where you are, but you guys ship, right? I mean, if, yeah. if I wanted to order and I'm out of state, you guys ship throughout the country. I, I would say, actually, I would say we're starting to, okay. um, the, because the, the, our capacity is, we've been growing capacity on the cider side for the last couple of years, but that we'll pour every single drop in the tasting room bottle, you know, or sell every bottle in the tasting room. I mean, everything moves out of here really well, but so we're just now getting to the point where we can start expanding. Um, and you'll, you should see these here shortly, you know, on things like, um, um, uh, uh, geez, now I'm going to say wine seeker, but that's not right. Zeno shipper, right? Okay. That, you know, sorry, I'm going to go okay. different places. That's who I order from. Um, so Vino shipper, these things will start popping up and things like that as we, as we kind of release enough, you know, pr uh, uh, product to be able to ship out of state until then it's, you know, we service our home market and sell in the markets around us and that sort of thing. But primarily for most of the stuff we make still, you got to come to a green bench for it, which is not bad because St. Petersburg at this time of year is pretty amazing. <laughs> Where I'm at. I'm there. So that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> now what's this next bottle that what's yeah. the next one that has no label? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, one more, this is, this one's really dear to my heart. This is Maylis and it's, 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 it's the first in what will be a series of, we'll do a vintage every year of, of this cider. Right. And it, it's never, the vintages aren't going to, they're not going to be the same every time because this is a blend of about 12 different apples. Um, but this is a clean ferment, um, Again, explain, explain to those yeah. that are listening yeah. and are maybe new to cider. What is a clean ferment? So uh, it, it, in, in this case, I've actually, uh, I've sulfited the juice before it got to me. And so that, that knocks out some of the native flora that's in the juice from pressing or with on the apples or whatever the case may be. Right. And then I've inoculated it with a commercial yeast basically. Okay. Um, now this is a, a, a neutral white wine yeast goes into this a very small amount really. And it's, and it's fermented super, super cold and super slow. I think this fermented at, I want to say 45 or 47 degrees Fahrenheit, which is pretty darn cold. Although a lot of ciders get fermented cold, right? And it, it, it ferments over the course of, I, I want to say from start to finish, this probably was fermenting for three and a half months or somewhere in that time frame, right? It was, mu it was measured in months, not weeks. Um, and, and in stainless too, right? So that, that helps. It's in a stainless tank. 
So what you get there with that neutral white wine yeast, a low and slow uh, fermentation, and in stainless is you get the only thing really contributing to this is the apples. All you're tasting is what the apples had to offer, right? Um, this is another one that was a 2019 crop, uh, fermented out again for, you know, a year plus in a tank, uh, and then got packaged and sat there and just chilled out in the cellar for, uh, you know, basically another year. Um, and it's sort of what I consider to be kind of one of our flagship ciders, maybe our, our, our actual flagship cider. And the May list is going to be something that we'll see every year. Uh, I already have, I mean, 2020, you know, the, the, or, um, I guess this is 2019. So that's now two years, two and a half years. What I'm getting them confused. 2020 is in the tank. Listen, the last couple of years, I mean, it's been a blur for everybody. And if you've been drinking a lot of really good beer and cider and need, it's it's crazy, right? (laughs) And then, and then, uh, and so we'll release these every year, uh, in different package formats, but the May list is just going to be kind of like, it won't be the same every time because I don't get the same apples every year, but it's going to be sort of like my, my, I'll intentionally blend as I bring them in to make, what 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 I think Malus is going to be that year, and it'll just be a really good representation of the apples we bring in. So, so anyway, you, I this mean, has such it, a yeah. wonderful bright nose to it. Right. Um, I also get strawberries, um, uh, berries on the nose yeah. to it. Even even like a hint of melon was there. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. We these have got some really amazing apples. Things like I mean, I've got three different kinds of russets in there. So it's got Roxbury, St. Edmunds. It's got Golden Russet. There's Kingston Black in there. There's Dabinette for the bittersweets and a couple crabs and some other Porter's Perfection. I mean, like I said, there's 12 different apples in here. So the list goes on and on. Um, and it, it really, this is, so when I get my juice in, in uh, you know, the, in, like I said, I get it once or twice a year in, in totes. This is the first thing I'm blending for. You know, I make this batch up where I like it with all the different apples I have. And then the rest I get to play with however I want. Um, but I think it's a really, Really beautiful, dry cider. Um, it doesn't present as super dry and austere, but it's nice and crisp. Um, it's not sweet. Uh, it's just got a beautiful, just it's apples. I mean, it, you, you know, this is really great cider for me is when you just get out of the way and, and let the cider do its thing. You know, I do a few things to make sure nothing goes wrong. And then I just let it do its thing. And I think that that's, makes the, best that's the experience I'm having where it's, I, I don't have to over, I don't have to make this difficult in drinking this. Yeah. And one of the things that you touch it, like th- there's no over dryness at the end. It just, you keep wanting to just have this quench of enjoyment mm-hmm. as you bring it in your mouth and enjoy the, the, the whole mouthfeel. This is delicious. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's another one that benefits from again, time. I think, I think, I think almost all cider makers will tell you that time, time is your friend in this process. And there's no, you know, there's no, there's no fast making of cider, re- you know, really good cider like this. we, on the beer side, um, we're sort of used to think, you know, turnaround times are really quick. You know, your IPAs get in and out. They're fresh. Drink them fresh. Loggers will take longer because they need to lager, right? But we also do the mixed culture stuff. I've got beers in here that sit for three years in barrels before we blend them and, and package them for sale. So we're sort of used to working on that time scale. Um, and, and we have the we have the seller and everything. So it, it makes it easy for me to say, that's going to be great in 16 or 18 months. Let's just sit on it, you know? You've mentioned barrels quite a number of times. Where mm-hmm. are you sourcing or how are you getting the barrels that you get to use? Uh, we get, I mean, most of our, most of the wine barrels we, well, I say most of the barrels are, are X wine barrels, right? So we'll bring in red and white wine barrels from all over the place. There's a couple of different suppliers. Um, 
So we'll do mostly wine barrels back there. I'd say probably 75 or 80% of that is wine. We'll do some spirit barrels and that's just kind of spot, you know, picking up from different distilleries or different suppliers who, you know, bring in bourbon and rum and, you know, Calvados and whatever, go on and on. We'll, we'll do a bunch of different really cool uh, spirit barrels, but the wine barrels will bring in, we might bring in, you know, 50 or 60 at a time um, to fill for projects. And so that's just making friends with, you know, there's a couple barrel suppliers that, that we have relationships with that, you know, they, they can, they can satisfy that pretty easily. One of the things I just am experiencing here now, even as it's opened up a little bit, my palate's mm-hmm. gotten used to this. It comes out a little bit sweeter mm-hmm. as it, yeah. as it opens up too. Mm-hmm. So again, yeah. this is that experience that you're going to have that talking about, Hey, w- within that, that web space, mm-hmm. right? Yep. I, mm-hmm. Did I say that? Right? The web yeah, web, yeah, that's right. Web seller. It was <laughs> the web seller. seller. Yep. But no, this is that experience. I could just sit down and go through how this just creates different flavors and different mm-hmm. nose and different profiles. Yeah. And if you, you know, if you and a, and a friend are sitting there splitting a 750 or, or maybe you got two, two other friends or whatever, you know, it, it takes a little time and you can pour a glass and you can just kind of sit and enjoy it. And yeah, you like any, any drink, any alcoholic beverage like this is going to change from the first sip to the 10th, you know, you, you know how that goes, beer, wine, cider, mead, any of those things, you have to have that evolution of time to really experience it. Yeah. But I would say that's one of the um, experiences that I would like to make sure that people understand that we create, Um, you know, people know that by wine, people may know that a little bit by beer. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think people have that. It doesn't resonate the way you would drink a cider or even a mead to just stop and slow down. And, and yep. let the whole experience wash over you in a way. Yeah, which is going to this the, the mead that we're going to try is certainly the sort of thing that, you know, really benefits from sitting in your glass for a few minutes. Yeah. All right. Well, you you teed it up. Um, yes, I did. This is and I, and I, I guess I'm supposed to I'm going to cut this labeling out and then I'm just going to it looks like <laughs> you know I got that whole thing going a little, yeah. little, little grayer <laughs> here yeah. um, in case of. The darkest time. That's right. In case of the darkest timeline. That's right. Yeah. This is a little joke. Cut along the, the dotted line. <laughs> yeah. The show, uh, commu- any fans of the show community will get that joke, but, um, but the darkest timeline is something that we've had in, uh, again, I'm sort of hitting you with our, the, I'm giving you the heavy hitters, right? The darkest timeline is sort of our flagship mead, I would say. And certainly one of the thing, one of my favorites that we've ever produced here. And we, so this is, I think batch three or four <laughs> that we're on now that I sent to you. Um, and, and this um, is a 14% mead too. That is correct. Yes, sir. This is a, this is a big one here. So this is, um, or it's orange blossom, uh, honey, right. From, from Florida, right. We get, obviously we have great orange blossom, uh, honey down. We, we have amazing honey in Florida. We're very lucky, but this is an orange blossom honey. Um, and then it's fermented with, um, boy, a lot, a lot of, uh, black currant, uh, uh, raspberry and blackberry. Um, and fermented out, what, what I would consider in the mead world, depending on how much mead you've had, this would be kind of semi-sweet. This is not, this is not a very sweet mead. It's, it's because the acidity uh, and the tannin from the fruit really help balance what is only a sort of a medium amount of residual sugar as far as meads go. They can get very sweet, very syrupy. Um, but this one here, I think, drinks mo- a lot more like, you know, like a red wine than, than, a, than a sweet mead because it just, you'll, you'll, You'll see when you drink it, it's that acidity and tannin help kind of balance what sweetness there is for it there. But yeah, 14%, it's a big one. People still come in. I mean, we have it on draft here as well. We, we have, you know, the nitrogen draft setups and stuff like that for the, for meads as well. So that my, my bartenders aren't opening bottles all day. 
Um, and people just come in here and crush glass after glass of it as well. That's a little bit rich for my blood. I'll, uh, I love it at three or four ounces at a time, sharing a bottle with a couple people. That's the way I do it. Uh, but that's the darkest timeline there. Yeah. I'm for, I'm, I'm a foot away about from yeah. this glass and I poured and this opened up with the raspberries. The, there was such a berry. It's, it's like a fog and I, and I, you know, uh, kind of <laughs> blew over me with the, with just the berry notes as this opens, I do get the, the current raisin characteristics. It, it's just sitting there, but as it opens up, there's so many good, you know, you're, you're playing with the senses and this is just wonderful to sit there. It's a, it is, it's, it's a really nice one. It's certainly the sort of thing that I'll, you know, when I, when I, when somebody comes in and they want to try a meat or whatever, it's the first thing I hand them because, and I think that again, sort of it's close relationship to red wines make it again, sort of make it a little approachable for folks who haven't had a mead before, or maybe they've had mead, but it's been really, really sweet. Some can be just like toothachingly sweet, uh, which is great. We need, we need all sorts of meads for all sorts of drinkers. Um, but this one, I think is really easy to, to taste and appreciate for that. And I mean, it's just, we, we get amazing honey. We get the fruit we can get. Obviously, we're not growing currants down here and, and whatnot, but we can get great fruit down here to us, and then we can, we can make use of it. So that's kind of where this guy went, came from. The nose on this is so mm-hmm. much like a port, or at least mm-hmm. when somebody hands me a port, this is how I would like this to be. I'm going to throw this out there to some... Now, now, is this barrel aged at all, or what nope. do you do with this? Okay, so nope. I'm going to throw this out to you. Stick this in a barrel. Yeah. <laughs> let this go for a little bit. Yep. And then those people that are creating like a, a bourbon, even around mm-hmm. you, throw mm-hmm. that in the barrel afterwards. Yep. This yep. is, you've got so much going on here. This is, this is, I haven't tasted it yet. This is just <laughs> wonderful in the nose. So yeah. Yeah. That's what I, it's honestly what we don't play. A, we have some spirit barrels, like I mentioned back there, but not a ton, but a lot of the spirit barrels that are back there are full of mead because I think it just is a perfect complement to it. Um, I've got another project coming up that's going to be released here later this year. That's it's Zambian wildflower honey. So it's an African wildflower honey. And they, the beekeepers there use a ton of smoke in the process of extracting the honey. And so the honey gets almost like naturally smoked. Plus it's this amazing leathery, tobacco-y honey. It's incredible. And so I've got that even fermented out by itself. It's amazing. I've got it out there with a bourbon barrel, a Calvados barrel, and a couple of their spirit barrels back there that are all going to be released as part of a collection because it's just, they're just natural compliments. Yeah. A lot of fun to play with that stuff. I, I don't I don't want this to I don't want people to think that this is just like the um, the Green Bench Appreciation Society that we started now. <laughs> but this is if you are telling me and I've never had a mead before. Yeah. And you say this is a mead. Uh, I'm like shaking my head and, and saying no way, because <laughs> this like you said, it's not overly sweet. You do get the sweetness. You get the earthiness of the honey on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and those berries just are so delicate. And the way that they just come through. This mm-hmm. is just, just tremendous. Um, I, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah. And this is another one that I, I think this one, we've, we've been working on this batch for some time. I want to say this, this probably was released in 20. I want to say this batch was released in 2019 or 2020, actually. So again, this bottle that you're holding has some real age on it and we'll, we'll probably be able to stand a few more years. No problem. You know, now I want to yeah. try to make sure that cork never comes back out of the bottle. Again. <laughs> I have to try, yeah. you know, I, I promised Dawn, you know, she gets to try everything after the, uh, after the interview. So sure. um, uh, I won't cor- recork it or in any way. If I, <laughs> so do you guys, do you guys serve food? Do you have food trucks? Um, no, not here. No, because we're, uh, we're, where, where we're at in, in downtown St. Pete, there's, there's, we're surrounded by restaurants. And so 
we, you know, we used to have food trucks on site pretty regularly back, you know, a few years ago, but now the district we're in in St. Pete has developed so much that they're, honestly, we're within a block of four or five different restaurants. So just go grab takeout and bring it over here to Green Bench, that sort of thing. It works out better for everybody that way. Wow. I I just, the whole experience, come for a couple hours, taste through your beers, your ciders, your needs. Um, do you have um, some some resting pods, n- some nap pods there too? Yeah, after <laughs> just go lay out, lay out in the beer garden. There's plenty of room to stretch. I out keep there, forgetting, you know, you know yeah. it's forty yeah. some degrees here. Yeah. I keep forgetting, you know, you're not that, you know, St. Pete, Tampa. You're not that far from, you know, the ocean and beaches. All right. Uh, this this makes it great. I don't know if you're allowed there to bring a couple of bottles of cider and just kind of relax on the <laughs> beach, but this that's like yep. a whole new experience. Yeah, the uh, the um, I will say as a devoted beach and boat boater um, that uh, don't you know skip the glass bottles, but we can a ton of stuff. Take your okay. aluminum down to the beach and and whatnot. But yes, yeah, I mean it's you know the summers can be as a Michigan guy coming down here. I've been here for whatever 13, 14 years now, or maybe more. I've gotten used to it, I guess. But the summers are still pretty. You know, Ju- July, August, September is kind of brutal down here. Can be. But boy, you know, it's March now. It's the best time of year to be in Florida. It's incredible. And yeah, you just find a spot under a palm tree out here in the beer garden and stretch out and get a little nap there. And then you can get back up and and get back to the drinking. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we will definitely at some point make sure we get down to Green Bench, because from what you had just mentioned, there's a lot of other things coming from your creative mind and for all you and Chris are doing. And I'm sure you have a, a bunch of, you know, with all the barrels you say you're laying down, it, it, you guys are not the only ones putting all this together. That's right. No, you're right. We have, I'm, I'm thankful to have about 30 really great folks working here for us. So we've got quite an operation going and um, it's a great time. We have a great time doing it. Well, we're definitely going to make sure we put that on our, our bucket list to stop by and see Green Bench and everybody there. I'm grateful for your time today. Thank you yeah. so much for this. And what you sent us and for us to try today, this has been delicious. And like I said, when we <laughs> met you at CiderCon, uh, you know, even what we had just tried, uh-huh. it was such an experience and, and such a great warming, um, just meeting everybody there. And, and yeah. again, being introduced to if we hadn't met you there, we would not have been able to try some of these wonderful expressions that you're producing. So thank you. That's for right. That. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Really happy to be here. Is there anything else that maybe we didn't touch on that you just want to make sure that you say to everybody that, you know, before we go? Boy, I don't, you know, I think we covered, I think we covered most of it, Rich. I mean, I would just say that, um, you know, the t- Tampa and St. Pete have become sort of a, a real hotspot for, for beer in the country. It's an amazing destination to come and do, you know, beer tourism to try all the breweries. And there's a lot of great breweries that are also doing the sort of thing we're doing where we're making great meat or cider as well. Um, and amazing styles of beer. So, I mean, it's, you know, come down and see us sometime, take spring break and come down to St. Pete, enjoy the beach, come drink some stuff with us, try everything else the town has to offer. I mean, I, you know, it's a great spot. I wouldn't be here this long if I didn't love it. So that's all. I guess I'll just one last plug for St. Pete as a town. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, thank you so much for today. This has been just tremendous. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you got it. My pleasure, Rich. Thank you for having me.